Hello, welcome to the Miles Podcast, where we talk about male experiences of the infertility journey. I'm your host, Stephen Miller. I wanted to record this special episode when I found out Friday morning that Rovers Wade was overturned. I also didn't feel that me being a male, that I should be the one solely talking about this subject. So I invited Dr. Anna Flores Locke to have a conversation about the possible implications for infertility, because I feel that's something that's not really being discussed in this matter, but also how as men, as us men, can support the women and people with uteruses in our lives. So I hope you enjoy this episode, and let me know what your thoughts are. So I want to welcome Dr. Anna Flores Locke, who is a licensed professional counselor out of New Jersey and is licensed in Illinois, Puerto Rico, and a multitude of other states um, to kind of offer a perspective and have a discussion about the overturn of Roe versus Wade and the implication it has for the women in our lives. Um, and just to have like a very, like a very quick discussion about kind of what, what does all this entail? I mean, especially with infertility, um, but also how to support, you know, the women like in our lives. And I also want to be respectful of everybody has differing opinions on, on this matter as well. And being respectful of people's beliefs and values. Um, the social first person we're taught is our, like my beliefs and values may be different, but that's okay. You know, like, and having that discussion. So, um, so welcome Anna to this special episode now call it that it's, Yes. Something I wasn't planning, but it felt like this was something we should, you know, like be talking about. Yeah. So Thank Stephen, Thank you, Stephen, for having yeah. me. And I really commend you for the courage it took for you. I know you made a decision to say right now to postpone other episodes and to have this special one to really address how men can support women right now after this decision. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And and like I was telling Anna previously, like I didn't feel like, and I mean, obviously the podcast was really geared towards men, but I also felt it wasn't appropriate nor right to like talk about this topic without another woman, like, and, you know, involved with this because it does affect them personally. Like, and it doesn't necessarily affect us in the way it's saying the same way it does for a woman, you know? So just offer that perspective too. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So I know like there's been, there's been a lot of talk, you know, about like, what does this mean for IVF, for fertility treatments? And at least from the stuff that I've read, like, it's still vague. Um, I think most states are wanting to keep IVF and keep fertility treatments, but with the overturn and some of these personhood laws that are now being trying to be passed or have already been passed, um, it kind of puts that into this ambiguity. Um, and I think within fertility in itself, that ambiguity is extremely tough in general. I mean, because you're going already through the ambiguity of IVF, like, is this going to work? Is this not going to? But now you're adding on, am I going to be able to do IVF? You know, am I going to be able to use frozen embryos? Um, and I'll just say, I'm not the expert, you know, like, and I don't, a lot of people don't know what's going on. I think that's the toughest piece of this. Um, but I know that it seems like most states are wanting to keep IVF. I think Louisiana like tried banning IVF, but then it didn't pass. And so that was some positivity, I guess, from my end, like saying like, okay, some people are not getting it, but I think 
people aren't understanding like how this could affect fertility treatments. Right. And definitely, you know, like you said, we're not the experts in that. There is resources. So Resolve, the National Infertility Organization, and the American Society for Reproductive Medicine right now online has helpful resources to understand the implications of the reversal of Roe versus Wade on fertility options. And so I um, recommend that listeners go there for further information. What I want to really address is from the mental health perspective is how for women, for couples, well, we'll say with women or those with uteruses, (laughs) my colleague sent me that message, which I loved, you know, persons with uteruses because it encompasses beyond the female gender, the binary uh, gender uh, that we have. So those with uteruses, right, have, and those with struggling with infertility, we are struggling and fighting to have a baby. And so with that being said, when a decision occurs, and I've worked with many clients in my private practice at Charlandra Counseling Services, where they have made a medical decision with their physician to terminate a wanted pregnancy. And I bring up this caveat because it's unique to the fertility community where we are fighting to have a baby. We want the baby so much that to make a decision to terminate that pregnancy that maybe you have worked five years to achieve is not an easy one to make. No, not at all. Not at all. Right. And I, this is, I don't think this is part of the broader conversation. And so that's why I really want us to give it some time. So there can be compassion and empathy for women who come into my counseling room and shed their tears of grief because that pregnancy had to be terminated for legitimate medical reasons. Right. It could be an ectopic pregnancy, like, or if it just wasn't going to be viable, you know, like. Exactly. Genetic abnormalities. I mean, right. The thing with when, when, um, when a woman like me, when I was under infertility treatments and like, you know, Stephen, with your wife, we are constantly being monitored medically, right. Constant ultrasounds, Mm -hmm. constant probing and like the pregnancy, the uterus, the fetus, the embryo, like everything is being under a microscope examined from day one onwards. So when you're under that much scientific investigation, I will say throughout this fertility journey, the doctors are going to know if there are medical reasons for termination. Yeah. before the baby's even born. So, and then, you know, that's a discussion with the patient and the physician to come to their decision that is best for them in their family building journey. And so with this 
decision, I think, along with ambiguity, now it limits those options or can limit those options in some states. When for this part, for this community, our community of infertility warriors, that option is part of the medical repertoire for them. And by taking that away can really put mothers at risk, right? Or the fetus at risk. So that's the part that that I wanted to talk about with you. Yeah, and I think also, I think there's this idea that it's an all or nothing thing. Cause I think a lot of people I've seen like a lot of pictures on social media regarding like just adoption and do foster care, which, you know, is a wonderful choice. It really is, but it's not really a choice that everyone will make. You know, I know that that is something that like my wife and I had thought about, like, and we had the profile, we did the home study, we did, you know, we got through all the stuff and then we asked ourselves is like, when we're 60, 70 years old, like, are we going to regret not trying for biological kids, our own biological kids? And mm-hmm. we both said, yeah, like we, like I, mm-hmm. we feel strongly about that. And that was, our, that yeah. was a decision we made that that's our, mm-hmm. you know, like that was our, you know, adoption. There's nothing wrong with it. Mm-hmm. The part of it though, is that especially with there's federal legislation, the family first act, they're really prioritizing reunification. Like if they're, if a child needs to be removed from the home due to abuse or neglect, they are going to put that with a different family member first before they, I mean, like adoption is the last resort. Mm -hmm. So yes, it is an option, you know, but it's also like, that's not the only option. Like there is like IVF, there's IUI, you know, like you can do foster care, like, Mm -hmm. um, I, I know a like a guy here in my local town, like he's, you know, 70, 70, 80 years old. He's, he's up there in age, but he, mm-hmm. for 30 years, he took on exchange students, at, like two boys every year. Mm-hmm. And that's what he did. Like, I mean, and that was, he, he didn't have any of his own kids. He never had any other relationship, you know, like, but like he found a way to, to give back, you know, like, so there's multiple options, mm-hmm. you know, to do that. And mm-hmm. I, and that's the thing that gets me is like, I, like I said, I respect people's choices, but when the choices become a non-choice for people, mm-hmm. like that's where I have issue with it, you know, like, and I've talked to a number of people where they're like, well, you know, like, I wouldn't be able to do that. I wouldn't be able to have an abortion. I'm like, that's great. But they're like, but they're also like, that's not my choice. Mm-hmm. That's my choice for me personally, if I'm ever in that situation, but if I'm not, you know, like if that's somebody else's, like that's their, that's their beliefs, that's their values and stuff you know like and being cognizant of that you know and i think the big thing i think like i said i think that, and i agree with you like these conversations about like the implications for infertility are not being happened i think a lot of people have the idea that it's a 20 something year old that got pregnant accidentally and just doesn't want to have a kid you know like right mm-hmm. but regardless that's still their choice but i think that's what they see but they don't see like okay, what about IVF? Like, what about frozen embryo transfers? Like, what about genetic mm-hmm. testing? Right. You know, like you have genetic testing, to, they do it because they want to make sure like they're viable. Yeah. And the likelihood that they're going to achieve pregnancy. I mean, that's one, like, it's a big reason why they do that. Or somebody carries a genetic disease, like let's just say cystic fibrosis, right? And they want to test to make sure that that, you know, like diagnosis or that condition is not being passed on to their children. Mm-hmm. Um. 
And ironically enough, I actually just read in a reproductive ethics book that actually kind of enlightened me that there's some people that will do IVF, like especially if those are, are blind or deaf or like in those communities, right. they will actually purposely pick an embryo that has that, you know, like because they want them to be part of that community. So which something that I didn't even think about, you know, for me that I kind of learned, you know, right. Mm-hmm. So I think like there's a giant, there's ectopic pregnancies, you know, like there's like frozen embryo transfer. It sounds like fresh transfers, like they're not even remotely talking about that. But I also know some clinics do better with frozen transfers than they do with fresh. So I mean, I and I don't know what the science is behind that, but and I don't think they yeah. even know. But they just go with what works. But yeah, and then sometimes you know now it's it's less occurring because of as practices have shifted regarding. Um, fertility treatments, but, you know, in the event of multiple pregnancy, you know, I, I'm a twin mom and I had two embryos implanted and they both took, and I became a twin mom. And that was again, by choice. However, sometimes you, they, in the past, you know, there have been situations where there's four embryos that take, and now this woman's pregnant with four babies and there's a selective reduction option, which is to terminate some of the fetuses so that the others can survive and the mother can survive it too. So, you know, and I do always come back to this as well when I work with my clients and hear their stories. And like you shared, when there's that decision to end a pregnancy because of a genetic disorder or the viability of that embryo, that decision is done from the love that parent already has for that unborn child. They love that unborn child so much. They don't want the child to live with a genetic disability that will. Yeah. Be with them their whole life. Lifespan. Right. Or yes, exactly. You know, so again, that for me is my own mindset switch that gives me that compassion and empathy for people who make these hard decisions because for them, it does come from a place of love. It's yeah. not done from a place of being selfish, like you said, with that stereotype or the myth of, oh, it's just a selfish woman who doesn't want to become a mom, doesn't want a baby. No, like we want the baby. It just yeah. happened in that situation that there's medical reasons why that's not a viable pregnancy. And so out I- of the love you already have, that hard decision is made to terminate yeah. and then you continue on the journey to have a healthy pregnancy. Yeah. And that is, I will say that I have not had that. I've not had to make that choice. And so like, I'm not going to say like, I can imagine yeah. what that looks like. I can have empathy of like what that would maybe be like, you know, especially you know, like with my wife and I, like we tried for seven years, you know, like in having to like, think about possibly it's just like i can't even imagine like that decision like and the such the ambivalence about how like you don't you want that child so badly you know and you've been working and spending the money you know like you spent a lot of time and energy right. and money you know, like on trying yeah. to achieve pregnancy and then having to make a decision of do we have to end this one you know like i can't be able to imagine how to make that choice mm-hmm. you know and you know, and I'm also hear stories about even pre- like before Roe was enacted, you know, like 
of how, like, I mean, think about the people that are doing it on their own, you know, like they're not going to get medical, they're doing it in back alleys. And so it's just not safe, you know, like, and people are going to do that again. But I want to stay focused on fertility because I mean, I think that's really, I mean, the, the thing that's not being talked about, I think in our world, like in ASRM and resolve, and I know, like, I mean, one thing I'll also say is like, reach out if you're working with a clinic, um, reach out to them as well. They have a legal team. So right. um, I know for me, like I've, my wife and I did a clinic in Missouri and we, we've reached out. I mean, cause we're concerned. I mean, like, like I was legit concerned when I started talking rumblings. I'm like, we like, do we need to transfer our embryos to another clinic? Yeah. Like, because Missouri is one of those states that had trigger law and I just, it, it brought a lot of anxiety for me. Cause I'm like, I don't want to have to be left like with not having to be able to have another child, you know, like we've been talking about it. Um, but I mean, at this point, you know, like they, like I said, they have their legal team. They're saying right now, like there's nothing really on the books to say like IVF is going to be a band or, you know, stuff with frozen embryos. Um, and actually at the MRSI conference in Chicago, like I was sitting at breakfast with, you know, one of the psychologists and some of the other doctors and stuff. And one of the, I think it was in Oklahoma, where they said like within the law, like it said, like with it, like if it's, it was fertilization and life begins at conception in the woman's body. Mm-hmm. So there's like, there's that loophole, mm-hmm. you know, like, mm-hmm. so like there's language and stuff that can some of the laws okay. that would probably most likely permit it. Um, but I also think like, I, I would be hard to say like, I, like, I don't think it's going to go away. I mean, but we also didn't think Robert's way was going to get overturned either, you know? So, right. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You have yeah. To pre- prepare for the worst in this situation, I think. Especially. Which I think for us <laughs> in the world, I think we're pretty well adept to that, you know, like, yes, we are, of, like right? preparing for the worst, but like <laughs> hoping for the best, but, um, and not to be like, I mean, like it really, but I mean, it really, like you hope, you know, like it's that balance of like, I don't want to hope too much because I don't want to be devastated and, and all that kind yeah. of stuff, but and, so, you know, and I heard you kind of bringing up earlier while sharing, you know, you, you, as a man, you haven't been in the position to have to make a decision on your own body regarding right. an unborn child. And so that made me think about how men can support women or persons with uteruses who have to make this decision or are facing what to do about their reproductive rights that are being jeopardized right now. And so I think, well, from a woman's perspective, I cannot underestimate the power of a hug. Yeah. I think, especially in the ambiguity of infertility, the ambiguity of this legal situation. And like you said, we don't know the answers. We can consult we can get advice and ultimately what your partner needs is that hug and the comfort of knowing that you're there by their side and you will support their decisions. And then also know she will know that you are there for her when she has to grieve because that's a big piece of this is when there is a termination, that's a loss, which needs grieving. And that's when the woman really needs the support 
of the man in her life to comfort her. Yeah. Now, the, the additional piece to this as well, and I've come across this a lot in my practice with couples, is I often see the man deferring to the woman for the decision to terminate. And I do want to share for the men out there that the man is equally entitled to participate in that decision-making because that unborn child is half theirs. And that's my point of view. I know there's other points of view as far as the woman has the autonomy, it's her body, her decision. And that is true. And it's also true that the man has also some rights in that decision-making. And so I, you know, I would encourage men to participate and to try their best to engage in a conversation with that decision, because again, it's not an easy one. And the woman needs the support through the decision-making process as well as after the termination. It's being, it's being part of the conversation, you know, instead of side, like sitting on the sidelines and, letting her right. go away because i mean you're right like she like like what people you know women you know like need that support you know like and doing it alone is making makes it a lot worse you know like i th- feel yeah. or i would probably feel like if i was making that decision by myself and then my significant other partner like was like oh no you make it it's all you that's mm-hmm. a lot of stress to put on right. a woman you like to make that decision you know and probably get trying to like going down the what if rabbit hole what if I make the wrong choice? What if I make the wrong choice? You know, what if this happens? What if that happens? You know, like, and I can just see that spiraling, you know, like when you're already high anxiety, you know? So yeah, I mean, definitely being part of the conversation and stuff and being coming to an agreement because really when it comes to fertility, it is a couple's issue, you know, like, you know, like you always said, you know, it's a couple's issue, right? I mean, it's both men, it affects both men and women, you know, like, um, and even if it's just male factor, if it's both or if it's female, I mean, regardless, like you're still in that together. And I think there's times where I've forgotten that, you know, like when in my, in my journey, you know, I, I, you know, I put it like, like I said, my first episode, I put a lot of pressure on myself, um, you know, instead of, you know, kind of teaming it, you know, and working together. So, yeah, but yeah, yeah so I, can, go ahead. Right. And we could have, I mean, a whole other episode on just the couples right. um, factor in this whole journey, because, you know, one thing that does come to mind when a pregnancy is terminated is not only the loss experienced. And so you have a grieving process, but then how does that affect the relationship? Right. Because especially if a woman doesn't feel, or let's say, let's say it was, if the couple doesn't feel like it was a joint decision and they're going together to the the clinic to terminate the pregnancy and they're grieving the loss together, that would be the ideal situation. And let's say that doesn't happen. Now we don't know, you know, now the man, and that's your perspective, right? That your specialty is, what is the man feeling or thinking about the woman's decision? Right. Right. So if they were not part of that conversation, then what was left unsaid 
like, I can't believe she did that. How can she kill our baby or another or the opposite? Um, you know, I'm fine with it. It's we'll move on, you know, whatever it is. But if that conversation isn't happening, then the man will hold on to all of that. And the woman is holding on to her own thoughts, right? Because we can't help but to imagine that we can mind read, <laughs> right? right? And start yeah. speculating. And, yeah. um, and when that happens, I like to tell couples the analogy of the miscommunication, the secrets, the unsaid words, those all start becoming blocks bricks rather bricks in yeah. a wall that's forming between the two of you. Yeah. So you have brick after brick after brick after brick and it accumulates. And I'll and just say you have rifts yeah. in relationships. Yeah. And I'll just say that even as a man, like a lot of men want that clear cut, just tell me what you need. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like mm-hmm. I don't yeah. want to play the mind game. You know, like I don't want to try right. to guess, you know, like it just says, tell me like, it's like, I'll do it. You know, like, it's like, I'll do yeah. whatever you need you know, like from me, it's just, but I need to know what that is, you know, like, mm-hmm. um, and I'm sure there's other men that probably have feeling the same way, you know, like about that, yeah. but, but I agree. It's, it's, it is a clear communication, you know, like, mm-hmm. and men and women often, you know, communicate differently and being able to acknowledge that, you know, but being able to say like, Hey, like, you know, you're, you know, going through some stuff, you know, what do you need from me? You know, like, and just asking, you know, um, and I think as men, we try to like shoulder, like, and take the brunt of it, you know, and try to remove some of that burden, you know, off and try to be that strong, per- you know, but I think that in itself, then you tend to minimize, you know, like what they're going through by remaining positive. And I think, and then that's something I imagine, like the toxic positivity can minimize the experience, you know, yeah. of what they're creating. Yeah. So. I'm glad you bring that up because, um, you know, one thing that I, I hear a lot too is. Um, in the midst of grief and in the midst of making one of the hardest decisions in your family building journey, the woman may not know what she needs at that moment. (laughs) Like she's confused, she's overwhelmed. And so sometimes that could be frustrating for the man, because let's say the man does say, well, what do you need? What do you want me to do? And she's Mm -hmm. like, I don't know what I need. Like, just leave me alone or whatever it is. Right. And it can kind of escalate and separate the two. And so the, you know, recommendation there, I think for men would be to not completely shut down and give up to give space for that emotion at that time and know that it will pass. Yeah. And maybe, you know, the next day or maybe the next month, right? Maybe it takes her a couple months before she can come back to you and say, I remember you asking me, what do I need? And now I think I can communicate that. Yeah. I need this. I need that. Um, Or sometimes it is just space and not taking it personal, right? Not taking it like she's rejecting you. It's just, she's trying to figure it out herself. Yeah. And And so she can't verbally communicate it. Right. So just not to give up, to still be there in that partnership. I think it's also having the awareness of in that moment, no matter what you say, 
is not going to be helpful. <laughs> you know, like and it's just <laughs> exactly. like recognizing that, like that they're yeah. in that mode, like they're out of ten. Mm-hmm. Nothing I say is going to resonate, like or shift it back down to a five or four. You know, like yeah. it's really just like writing out and just like and listening and just like letting you know, like letting vent. You know, like and in those moments where you you find those little glimpses, you know, like you can you know, acknowledge it, you know, like, it's like, you know, I care about you, you know, like, and you know that, you know, I'm here for you, you know, like I'm here for whatever you need and stuff. But I think that it's also recognizing, like you said, not taking it personally, that they just are at a point where it's whatever you say is going to go one ear out the other. And it's just kind of, like I said, just listening and doing that, that nonverbal, right. That active listening, that nonverbal of like, not in your head listening to saying yep you know like I, I i get it you know like or not even saying i get it but like i can see where you're coming from you know like and that validation goes a long way yeah being that shoulder to cry on yeah going back Absolutely. to the power of a hug yep the power of chocolate and ice cream <laughs> <laughs> i like to call it i think chocolate in bed yeah a little a phrase that i read in a book about couples therapy for infertility and I shared it in an article I was featured in as well, is moving from kind of this, like, always talking about how to make a baby in the bed to bring chocolate in the bed, like bring joy into the bed again. Yeah. Right? And, um, and sometimes it's as simple as that, whatever yeah. is your um, partner's favorite treat, favorite thing yeah. can be worth a thousand words. And when you're in those moments of like, you said you don't know what to do and you want to do something, that's when you go back to like comfort, hugs, shoulder to cry on, or give space. If she just wants space, give her space till I understand I'm going to give you space or bring some chocolate. Yeah. <laughs> that works yeah, for me. Something, I mean, an, <laughs> yeah. Right. And enjoying the moments where mm-hmm. you're not thinking about fertility. Yes. Right. You know, and that's the thing. And yeah. I know like for like my wife and I, we did three exchange students, like two from Germany, one from Norway. And it helped. I mean, that was one thing that we did. Like we had open beds, you know, like in open bedrooms, you know, like it would be just like, well, let's, let's do it. You know, my sister-in-law had done it. And, like they had great kids that came and um, uh-huh. I know they're always still looking for host parents. So if you ever want to yeah. be, that's always a good choice. You know, my opinion, you learn a lot about culture and you really develop some good relationships, but it, it, it really honestly helped us as a couple to like not be focusing on fertility a hundred percent of the time, you know, like it allowed us to go to concerts, allowed us to go to school events and sporting events and mm-hmm. kept us busy. Mm-hmm. You know, like, which I think was just helpful, you know, like for at least for my wife and I, when we were doing it. So, but yeah, enjoying the moments, you know, like, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, that's a great, those are great tips. Yeah. And well, so, I don't want to know today we we were able to have this special episode discussing Roe versus Wade and briefly touched on some mental health and reproductive implications of that decision and how men can support the women in their lives or the persons with uteruses (laughs) in their lives. Yeah, definitely. And I really I really appreciate the time we took out this evening and to be able to have a discussion you're always a wealth of knowledge and i always enjoy listening to you so you're welcome um, you're welcome thank you for inviting yeah. me yeah that thank sounds great this. yeah it's you're so welcome. no problem
Thank you for listening to this episode of the Miles Podcast and joining me on this Miles Long Journey. You can follow me on Instagram at sjmiller2024 or the Miles Podcast. And you can also email me if you would like to be a guest. It's milespodcast at gmail.com. Or you can message me on Instagram. So once again, thanks for listening, and I hope to hear from you soon. Thank you.